0: All right. Good morning. How are we? Do you need to stand up and shake hands? All right. It's his fault. Have a stand. Have a stand. We're, we just said we're going to be family here, so... <laughs> Can make your way back to your seat and be seated. I am glad to see all of you today. We're in week number three of a four-part series on the book of 1 Peter, and we're calling it Different. And But before we get into that, I kind of want to just update you on a few things today uh, that you are a part of by your attendance here, and by your giving here, that uh, I'm excited about. Uh, One of the things that I love about this church is that we are small, but we are mighty. And uh, I love your generosity, those of you that give here. And if you haven't jumped in on that, uh, I want to encourage you to do that and uh, join in the blessing of what God does when we are selfless. He said... Uh, he loves a cheerful giver. He said, where your heart is is where your treasure is. And so uh, with all that in mind, you know, one of the things that I get to do on a weekly basis is uh, serve our community and serve our people. But you don't, you don't hear a lot about that or see a lot of that. You know, it's every month we're fixing somebody's car or buying bus passes for our homeless neighbors or sponsoring meals or Uh, Whatever the case may be on a weekly basis that rolls up to uh, our doors. And so I love that just at the drop of a hat that your heart is that we would help. And so I love that. And we're uh, storing people's stuff and and doing all kinds of different stuff. And it's it's been awesome. But we've got some some really cool things to celebrate this week uh, because of your generosity. So this week we're going to be sending... uh, a quite a bit of relief to our friends in Puerto Rico. And, uh, you can still give to that. That cut hasn't, that check hasn't been signed. Um, so, uh, there's still time if you want to give to that today, but, uh, we're sending, we've connected with, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know all the details about it, but, uh, that we have a connection through a connection, uh, of people who are taking relief items directly to the people. And a hundred percent, which is, rare, Uh, maybe 99.9% rare now that 100% of our donation will go straight to buying supplies, like things like water, flashlights, batteries, and then go straight to the people. So I know many of you have given to that already, and uh, we're going to do that this week. And then we're also working on some other connections for the long term, because one of my passions is that we would be first responders but what happens in eight months when everybody forgets about it because life has moved on Um, a lot like what Jake talked about with prayer like we go through these spirits of generosity where we are boom but then life happens and so one of the things that I'm passionate about is uh, making connection through that that we could serve in the long term so that's really awesome, doing that this week. Also this week, uh, I mentioned to you in our Vision Sunday, a group in Ethiopia called Make Your Mark. And uh, through your generosity and uh, through our partnership with them, uh, this week, November 1st, we uh, get to cut our first check for over $1,000 to them. And uh, man, that is awesome. And so, small but mighty, right? And so $1,000 goes... A whole long way in Ethiopia. And uh, so I'm excited about that. If you don't know much about them, you can find them on Facebook. And we'll be sharing through the next couple of weeks um, some videos and, and stuff about them. Uh, the leaders of that are going to be here this coming summer and uh, sharing with us in person. Uh, but they do amazing stuff. I've seen it in person. When we went to pick up Malachi, we got to spend a couple of days with them. And uh, just amazing, amazing things. Their primary work is that they go and find street kids. And what happens is because of human trafficking is the street kids, the runaways, uh, will band together. And then, you know, they move in like little gangs of of little kids. And it's crazy. They're so young, elementary age. And they're just living on the streets in Addis, which is the the major city there in Ethiopia. And... uh, to protect themselves, they travel in these groups. And so, I mean, they've got pictures of kids sleeping in ditches just on top of each other because they can fight together uh, a grown man who would, who would steal them. And so just wild, wild stories. Um, but what they do is they take these kids in. They spend a significant amount of time. I think it's different for every kid, but somewhere around eight months or a year or so. But the goal is that they find the parent and then they reintegrate that child back with their family and then counsel the whole family all the while sharing the gospel. They're seeing people get saved all the time. And uh, uh, the the post family is uh, the name, and then it's Make Your Mark in Ethiopia. Just awesome stuff. And so we we get to partner with them. And uh, I just want to share some of those things because what we do in Jesus' name, and we're going to talk about that uh is so important because what we get to do by investing there is being nameless. And that's really important, that we would lay our life down so that others could find it. You know, the scripture that talks about don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And, and that, that's what, it's our joy to be a part of that. And so I want to encourage you to keep giving and uh, just we'll keep bringing you updates on on what's going on in those places but God is so faithful and so good and uh man we are we are you know what what other time in history uh could we celebrate these things and you know God works in every generation but ours we seem to we seem to get down and uh persecution's a great thing you know let's let's weed out the weeds and you know let's be generous people And uh, God is so faithful. So let me pray for us. And then uh, we're going to jump in. I've been ready all week to preach this sermon to you. And uh, God has been really faithful. And I think that he's going to help some of you today. And uh, man, the word of God is living. I I hope you know that. So let's pray. Father, you are so worthy to be praised. We thank you for sending Jesus. To live the life that we couldn't live. And to rescue us from our sin which runs so deep. Holy Spirit, we pray as we open your precious word. That it would speak to us that you promised that when your word would go out that it would never return void. It would never come back empty handed. And that it is sharp like a two-edged sword, pierces down into the places that uh, it needs to get into and transforms us. And so, Father, we ask for your blessing on that. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for the freedom we have to open your word. But we also recognize that we take that for granted. So I pray that this morning this sermon would not just be another part of Sunday but that you would meet with us and that you would change our minds in repentance and make us more like Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, uh, the title of the sermon today is this, A Different Calling in a Dark World. We have a different calling... In a dark world, the the series as a whole, we're talking about what it means to be different. When Peter uh, penned this letter, he wrote the phrase that you are elect exiles, elect exiles, handpicked by God to be different, to be altogether set apart, holy for God's purpose. And I think there's three kinds of calling that we experience in our spiritual life. Three different types. So if you're taking notes, I think you have a fill in the blank here. Uh, number one is the first kind is we receive an eternal call to Christ. Uh, you can't move into Christianity. You can't move into spirituality. You can't do anything, John fifteen five says, apart from Christ. So without that eternal call from Christ where uh, John chapter 6 tells us that the Father grants you uh, his right to become a child of God. And then the Holy Spirit draws you into the family of God. It's an eternal thing. Matthew tells us no man can pluck us from the hand of the Father. All that he has given Christ are his. Eternally secure Forever fixed. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Not, you have work to do. So there is an eternal call to Christ. But then there's two other kinds. That once you are signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. (laughs) Bonus points to Jake. We just think alike, that's all. And uh, once you're sealed, the Bible says we we get sealed with the Holy Spirit. And these are big doctrinal things, but they're important for you because your whole life hangs on that. Once we're sealed with the spirit, uh, we move into these two categories of sanctification. And God begins to do his work in us. And the Bible says that he who began the work in that eternal call and seal will finish the work. A lot of times it's painful. A lot of times it's messy, but he's going to finish it. It's his job to do. But that second one there, if you're taking notes, is a temporary call to an assignment. So we've got this eternal call to Christ, and then we have a temporary call to an assignment. I'll use myself as an, as an example. People ask me all the time, why start another church? I was called to. I was called to. And uh, the, the easiest way for you to think about that is I can't do anything else. I cannot imagine doing anything other than this. And you being here is great affirmation for me that I should keep doing this. And so uh, you've experienced that, though, that, that you get a temporary call to an assignment that God has given you. Uh, if you're a parent, you have a temporary call to an assignment. When they're 18, 20, Hopefully not 30, you know what I'm saying? Um, we, I did move back in with my in-laws when I was 31 uh, for eight months. So if that's you, I I feel you, all right? And uh, I'm just blessed to them for eight months and me and all five of us that took over their house and uh, I think they're in here somewhere, bless God, for them. They had a temporary assignment. <laughs> And, uh, but, but you have an assignment to your kids. You know, the Bible says, raise them in the admonition of the Lord. Bind on their heart and neck the truth of God. These are the things that we've been given. Spare the rod, spoil the child, alright? Proverbs, that's my paraphrase. Okay? And so, we've got this assignment. Temporary, though. They're going to leave, and you will stop making decisions for them. If you are. An employee, you have an assignment to be salt and light in that place. So, so you follow me? So we get this eternal call to Christ. You're in the family. You represent the family. Then you're given temporary assignments along the way. Some of them long, some of them short. Some of them just conversations in the store uh, where we're stewarding the grace of God that is flowing into us and overflowing our cup flowing out of us. So we've got these temporary assignments. But where I want to spend our time today is in this third category of a daily call to a different standard. So if you're taking notes, you've got a blank there on number three, a daily call to a different standard. What is it that every day we are supposed to do? And this is where a lot of you wait for me to get to this sermon because we major on what I would consider the major. The it is finished of the cross that we love God because he first loved us. And so but there is this place of responsibility that we have a different calling in this dark world just by being adopted into the family of God. We go from darkness To light. And what do you know about light? That it shines brightest in the darkness. Right? If you are by definition light. And this world is by definition dark. You will be different. Somebody will look at you. Get to know you. And come to the conclusion that you have something that they don't have. They have to. They have to. Jesus said, you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then because Jesus got jokes, he said, you wouldn't light a candle and put it under a basket, would you? Some of you don't read that with sarcasm, but Jesus was sarcastic. I want you to know. All right? But you have this question, and I have this question. In that culture, what was so different about these people? You know, we've talked extensively over the past two weeks about what kind of persecution they were going through. And it was far greater than the kind we're experiencing. But in that, I want, I want to just share a couple of thoughts with you before I give you six things about you and then three expectations from you. That's where we're heading. But before we get there, think think about this. What made those people different? under such incredible persecution, the obvious is that they stuck to their guns, that they stuck to Christ, that he was faithful to them despite being tortured and beaten and killed. But there were some other things that just in their daily life, right, this daily call to a different standard. I just want to give you three. Uh, one One of the things that they were accused of, historians tell us, is of being superstitious. All this talk about miracles. And some would even say that Jesus was their, was their head magician. When these people looked at them, they did what happens to you. Do you, you mean to tell me you really believe that there's a God out there. Have you ever heard that? Has anyone ever said that to you? I know some of you work in an academic environment. Uh, you, you are in the minority believing in the God of the Bible. If you were to walk out these doors and take a right and go over there, you would be in the minority believing the God of the Bible. But how many of you know that God's not afraid of our questions? And that the Bible has an answer for everything. But, but these people were just like you in that sense. And that here they are being persecuted. Here they are in all of this stuff going on. And they're talking about, they're talking about Jesus rescuing them. They're singing songs as they die. Where does that joy come from? Man, what superstitious people. And as we're experiencing in our culture, it can become hostile to have the joy of the Lord. They were superstitious. A second one, they just get more convoluted, but a second one was they were accused of being incestuous. They would hold these things that were literally called agape, love feasts. But the problem with their love feasts, see, in that culture, they would have, that would have been totally fine. Just go and have lots of sex And eat lots of food. And that was a normal party in that day and age. They would have been fine. The love feast would have been fine. But what weirded the culture out. Was that they would go to their love feast. And what they would do is call each other brother and sister. This is my brother in Christ. This is my sister in Christ. And so they're thinking. Who is this head magician. Who's caused this incestuous group of people to gather. They were different. Their love Parties were not like the culture's love party. And I would submit to you today that our love party ought not be like the world's love party. But then maybe the most intense one was they were accused of being cannibals. Because as they began to participate in communion, just like Jesus told them, what did they they quote to each other? What Jesus said, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood, which was shed for you for the remission of your sin. So they were different. They were weird. They were decidedly set apart in the eternal sense, but in that daily call to a different standard. There are things in your life that on a daily basis you are going to make different choices that are going to set you apart. It's going to make you different. And what I want to do is uh, help you know how your conduct being visibly different is actually an amazing blessing that God's given to you. And what I want to do is take that and spin it around look we'll at it from the other side and encourage you with it. So... Uh, You're here today, though. And that's a sign, whether you know Christ or not, that you at least are willing to recognize that there's something more. And so what I want to do today is, for those of you who are in Christ or are thinking about confessing Jesus as Lord... What does that mean? What are the expectations of somebody who follows Jesus? I want to couch it in this phrase. And I think you have fill in the blanks on this in your notes. Here's where I want you to land with me before I give you our two lists. Before you know what to do. You tracking with me? You filling these blanks in? Before you know what to do, you have to know who you are. It's that simple. Before you know what to do, you have to know who you are. Let me phrase it in a different way. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. I've shared with you before that in our in our house, like there's some things that the Kuhn family does that aren't necessarily Bible things, but it's just uh, it's what the Kuhn family does. And so if one of our kids will will get out of line and one of those things like we don't be like, Jesus doesn't love you when you do that and bring them back to the line. Right. Like there's some other stuff that we're like, God said that that's sin. Uh, some of them, though, are just dad is uh, OCD about that. Right. And so what we'll do is we'll come to one of our kids. And, you know, we'll do the right thing. You get down on their level like you're supposed to. she be like, that's not what the Kuhn family does. And we'll redirect back to what the Kuhn family ideal is. Well, God has given us some of those things. What What does it mean to be a child of God? But I want to argue that you have to hear six declarations about you before you can ever hope to fulfill the three expectations of you. You with me? All right. One of you is. That's great. All right. All right, let's go to the six. But first, let's look at the text, right? Because you don't care what I have to say. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. All right. Here, here is what God says about you. Some of you need to close your eyes and just listen to what God says about you. Here it is. But you, say me, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... To abstain from the passions of the flesh. Which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day of visitation. Before you know what to do. You have to know who... You are. So let's walk through these. Number one, if you're taking notes, the six declarations about you. Number one, according to verse nine, is that you are a chosen race. One of the things in our cultural culture and climate is we're paying attention to this idea of race. And isn't it interesting that God chose to come and say, you are a chosen race. A chosen race. In our culture that feels politically charged. But it is not politically charged. Because what is God's chosen race? One of the beauties of the cross. One of the beauties of the gospel. Is that God took all of the people in the world. Every tribe. Every tongue. Every nation. Every skin color. Every socioeconomic status. And said, the thing that levels the playing field is that you need me. And then the Bible says that he began in Revelation, it tells us so clearly, that he began to assemble for himself a family of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Heaven will be a colorful place. You know, one of the things you've heard me say before that bothers me is when people say... You know, we shouldn't pay attention to race. You know It's not a race thing. Well, that would be implying that God made a mistake. But God made every one of you the way that he wanted you. And we ought to celebrate that, not try to correct that. God doesn't make mistakes. We need every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Just in the study of theology, just in reading the Bible... I need the perspectives of my brothers in Africa. I need the perspectives of my brothers in Japan. We need that because we bring different things to the table as well as baggage to the table. And need I remind you that Jesus wasn't white. So right off the bat, we are a diverse people. And we love that. And it brings meaning to this statement that God says you are a chosen race. Because God's assembling this family of all these diverse people who on the surface may not be able to get along. And our culture is showing us our failures in that. But what the cross does, what the gospel does is it takes the things that culture is struggling with and says, my family's different. We can go through those barriers and be a family of a chosen race where we all come together and are able to be followers of Jesus together. But the beautiful thing is, is God says, I'm declaring that about you. I am making that a reality says, you are a chosen race. I love that idea that God has elected, chosen out of his own grace, apart from anything that you bring to the table, to be his representative on earth. What an amazing thing. Because let's be real, you and I, our resume, we wouldn't get the job. <laughs> we wouldn't get the job. We just wouldn't. But what does God do? God comes in and says, even though you're worthless, you're worthwhile. (laughs) And I love that. That's an amazing thing. You're a chosen race. Number two, you're a royal priesthood. You didn't know you were royalty today, did you? You're royalty. Elect. What does it mean to be a royal priesthood? Let me give you seven traits. We don't have time to spend here, but someday maybe we will. But what, what did a priest do? God calls you a priest, that you are part of this royal priesthood, not just any priesthood, but the royal one, the one that is directly connected to the king of the universe, to the God of the universe. Let me give you just seven things that 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 was uh, true of a priest and why they were set aside to be a priest. They were elect, handpicked. They were then cleansed. And then they were clothed. And then they were anointed, and then they were prepared, and then they were ordained, and then they were honored. What is God saying to you that in his royal family, he has elected you, he's cleansed you? And I can go to a Bible verse for every one of these, and I encourage you to this week. He, was elect, he elected you, he cleansed you from all your unrighteousness, and then he clothed you in Christ, And he anointed you with the Holy Spirit. And then he prepared you and ordained you for a task and honored you in the process. So maybe you walked in here today feeling down about yourself. I want you to know you don't have to feel down about yourself because God's not down on you. But the beauty and the tension is that God's not down on you because his son redeemed you. I love that. That regardless of you and what you have brought to the table, God has handpicked you, cleansed you, clothed you, anointed you, prepared you, ordained you, and honored you. And you didn't deserve it. And I certainly didn't deserve it. And yet he calls you a friend and he calls you his child. We could stop right now and go home. <laughs> But he didn't stop there. After anointing you for that purpose, he goes on, number three in verse nine is that he made us a holy nation. We, again, don't have time to spend here, but I want to give you somewhere to study this week. But basically, uh, if I could connect some really long dots, I mean, they're far away from each other. But uh, theologically, uh, we have become a new Israel and I want you to study Exodus 19, 5, and 6 when you've got time. All right, Write that down. Exodus nineteen five and 6. Because what uh, is declared in Exodus 19 about the people of Israel is reaffirmed here by what Peter says about the church. And so the, the declaration that God gave Israel is the same one that Peter is giving us now. But Peter uses it in language that it's already happened because of Christ. And so what they were looking forward to We're looking back on, and it's an amazing thing. But you're a holy nation. We are our own nation. We are different. We are different. Number four. This is an amazing one. If you feel down today, I want to just lift you right out of the pit right now. Verse 9 says that we are God's personal possession. Wow. You ever, you ever had something that was so important to you that you just, had to, you just you just would keep it? Right now, some of us do this in a wrong way. Like we like like our car too much or we like something else and we're like, oh, don't touch that, please. All right, that's not what this is talking about. If you have kids, you know what this is like. You know, like every kid has like a thing that is theirs. I mean, I've got a 15 month old and uh, she already has a thing and she calls it her banky, banky. It's a blankie for those of you who don't have children and can't speak 15-month-old, right? But it's amazing. It's amazing that at 15 months, she it's like, it's like, this is mine. This is mine. It's unacceptable for you to put me in my crib without my blankie. And I'm going to scream until you bring me my blankie. And for those of you who did Growing Kids God's Ways, uh, she would scream all night. I just want you to know. So we go in there and we give her the blankie. All right, don't judge me. And uh, some of you are going to grow up, have kids and read that book and you'll know why I said that. (laughs) All right, but it's amazing. We just have this, we have this innate thing because we're made in the image of God and in his likeness that we portray things that are like our God. And that's one of them. We have this propensity to keep, to keep. And we need that to be redeemed by God, but it's a godly characteristic. The Bible says that it is that we are his personal possession. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, uh, talks about how God feels about you. Right, let's just turn there. It's an amazing thing. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, right? So go to the middle, it's, it's, it's there. But I want to read it to you. I know. If you're new to the Bible, man, you can get lost real fast looking for for Zephaniah. Right after Habakkuk, as if that would help you. Listen to this. Listen to this. This (laughs) just makes me laugh, right? Because it is laughable that the God of the universe would feel this way about me. Listen to this. Zephaniah 3 if you're, I still hear people turning. It's okay. You can look it up later. <laughs> listen to these words. On that day, listen to this, it shall be said to Jerusalem. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. And quite frankly, they never kept it. God had given them standards that they didn't keep. They abused them incessantly. You have been given standards that you abuse incessantly. But listen to this. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. You know what that means? You know how we talk about um, obeying and hoping our heart will follow? Like God does that perfectly perfectly. He didn't just rejoice over you because it was a choice that he has to make. He did it because he was glad to do it. What an awesome thought. <clears throat> rejoice over with gladness. And listen to this He will quiet you by his love. <laughs> and then check this out He will exalt over you with loud singing. <laughs> That's an awesome thought loud singing. Some of you could take a lesson from the Lord and loud singing, right? You know? What an amazing thought. Just start trailing through your mind all the things that God has done in creating the world and creating the universe and science and just drilling into that stuff and the intricacies of the human body. All the things that He can do. The Bible says He rejoices over you. It's an amazing thing. Let's move on. Number five, people of marvelous light. As priests in light, we see clearly what culture does not. As priests in Christ, we see clearly what culture does not. Why marvelous light? Man, we might have to take like five weeks on this. I'm running out of time. Why marvelous light? There's so much here. Why marvelous light? Why are we people of marvelous light. He called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The world is dark, lost and searching. You are not dark, lost and searching. Everything you need can be found in the light of the world. We are in marvelous light. But you've got to open your eyes. You've got to open your eyes. Number six. This is the gospel. It's in verse 10. We weren't a people, but we are now recipients of mercy. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's Ephesians chapter 2. 1 through 13. Just a great place to go. So all of that is said about you. You should be feeling a little lighter at the moment. But coming out of that is what all of us experience in this tension of, that's an amazing thing. So what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Alright? He gives us three things here that I think are incredibly important. And I might come back to this next week, we might move on. But election, you being chosen by God, is not conditional. God initiates it, God enacts it, and God keeps it. Done. It is finished. We call it in theology the finished work of Christ. It's done. Signed, sealed, delivered. But as a loved and chosen child of God, I would never kick my kids out of my family. But I do have expectations of them. How they represent our family, of how they represent the Lord, of how they live their life. And so it's our joyful responsibility to live in the guardrails that God has given us. So I want to just give you three real fast from the text. Okay, the first one here is that we are told to abstain. Verse 11 says, beloved, family, children, the people I love. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, those handpicked people of God, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What does it mean to abstain It means to go to any length necessary to change from your passions to God's passions. Any length necessary. Jesus said it this way. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, just rip it out. And you're like, is that figurative or... That's missing the point. can't tell tell you how many people that I've counseled through the years, whether they be teenagers or adults, who have an issue, which is not a surprise. I have issues. We all have issues. You have an issue, you have an issue, you have an issue. I can just go around, you have an issue, you... You know, we've all got them. But the thing that separates the followers of Jesus, people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, is that they are willing to abstain from the passions of the flesh. When the stakes are high enough, you have everything within you because of Christ to defeat your sin. You do. Because of those six declarations about you, you have everything you need in Christ to wage war against your sin. That's the second one, is to wage war. So when you make the choice to abstain what's the Bible say that those passions of your flesh verse 11 wage war against your soul can I just make it really clear to you that some things are just because you make dumb decisions like if you speed and get a ticket sorry you shouldn't you shouldn't pray that God would get you out of that ticket You know, maybe that officer will be a nice guy, but that was your dumb decision. And most of our sin is because of our dumb decisions. All of our sin is because of our dumb decisions. But the Bible says that the devil is like a lion and that he's walking around seeking out. It's It's the same concept as abstaining. That while you're attempting to abstain from the passions of your flesh to pull away from that. The devil's walking around seeking who he can pull into that. And so are you following me? There's this war raging in your soul over your soul. That they would be pulling you, God would be pulling you out of it. And you would be experiencing the same thing from the devil pulling you into it. It's war. It's war. So, where do you go? Where to abstain from the passions of the flesh? Where to wage war? By the way, all of those two things make you really different. You being willing to abstain from what the culture says, go. You do you. That you would wage war against that is not normal. It's really difficult and it will cost you. It will really cost you. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you relationships. But nothing is more important than number three to keep your conduct honorable. That's number three. You're different. You're set apart. What does that mean? It means to abstain from your flesh. To wage war against the devil. And to keep your conduct honorable. Why? Where does the drive come for that? It comes in those six declarations, but here's what it comes down to. To the testimony before others. Of the glory of God. That's what it says. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. So that. When they speak against you as evildoers. Which they're going to. You should expect that. They may see your good work. And glorify God. If not now. The day when they stand before him. There's no higher aim in your life than to kill sin, resist the devil, and joyfully submit to the Lord. There's nothing worth your aspiration unless you get that right. You can make a lot of money and go stand before God and say, God, look at my boat! And he'll be like, I don't care. I, I never cared about that. Did you see me call him the sea, by the way? I just one upped you in case you didn't know. God doesn't care about your boat. God doesn't care about your house. He might have given you some nice stuff. I'm very thankful for my house. But God doesn't care about my house. Can I say it to you this way? I heard heard Matt Chandler say it once, and it just like caused me to think for a decade. <laughs> He said this, he said, God is for God, and that's good news. God is for God, and that's good news. You've been adopted into the family of God. He's declared six things about you. Amazing things. And once you know who you are, you'll know what to do. The question is, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? The Holy Spirit says, you, you have the power to be my witness. Implied in that is the power to do the things that require you to be a witness. To abstain from the passions of your flesh. To wage war against the devil. And the Bible makes a great promise to you that if you resist the devil, he will Flee from you, but you got to wage war. You know, it's, as I think about each of you, the band, you can come back, you can come up, band. As I think about each of you, I know that each of you are in a war. You're in a war, and what I would like to encourage you to do today is to declare war. Did you know some of my military friends can correct me if I'm wrong but we have to actually declare war right? Like or, or else we just call it a conflict. It's just a conflict. What, what does that even mean like conflict? People are shooting at me. It's war. <laughs> I'm sure there's a great definition why. In the same sense though you've been in a war. You are in a war. Bible says we don't wage war against flesh and blood but the the powers of the darkness of this world and so my question for you is simply like have you declared war have you declared war some of you today you need to declare war on your flesh against the devil and you need to start acting like a child of God he's made six incredible statements about you That leads you into the knowledge of who you are. You have incredible value to the King of Kings. He's handpicked you to be in his family. And then he said, you're my ambassador, he tells us in Corinthians. That gives us a stewardship. Gives us... Marching orders.